What's going on world? Just letting you know that Technically Speaking is on Clubhouse. So if you have access to the application, go ahead and search for Technically Speaking and join the nearly 5,000 members globally every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We talk about a whole range of different topics supplemental to a lot of the themes on the show. We've got folks that are early in their careers, late in their careers, across different industries, all sharing their experiences, expertise, and tips on stage. It's something that you don't want to miss. I personally look forward to having you in the club and seeing you on stage. That's Technically Speaking on Clubhouse. My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. We are back for episode 16. That is right. We are more than halfway through season two. And I'm super excited, as I am every week for our episodes. But this conversation is around empowerment. And it actually ranged across a wide array of subjects. It wasn't planned to go in that direction, but it did. But that segues me into introducing our guest, Lily Konings. Back in December, she played a key role as the founder of the Lift Her Wealth Conference. Uh, It touched on financial literacy across personal finance, retirement, investing, and more for women around the world. But it started from a viral treat that ended up resulting in 15 speakers, a ton of sponsors, and more than 4,000 signups. It's really an amazing story, but don't take my word for it. Here's Lily in her own words. And even though I was on the more giving end of that, I also felt after that conversation that I strongly needed to be on the receiving end as well. I have not had that kind of conversation with another woman. Most of the time, those conversations I've ever had, which were still not at that honest of a level it was still kind of more high level we're always with men and Mm. so i just saw the i just saw myself as a person who had this problem and i had absolutely no solution up to that point i had no idea it was going to be a conference i had no idea it was going to blow up all i all i wanted to do was shout into the ether that you know i wanted desperately to connect with people we'll touch on that for a bit And then we'll talk about the importance of advocating for yourself when it comes to career growth, her concept of an ideal product organization, and some of the struggles that she had with burnout back in 2020. Well, that's enough for me in the intro. Let's go ahead and dive into the show. Welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Harrison. Yeah, give everybody a quick bio about yourself. Let them get to know you. I am a uh, product designer, I'm sure you know. Um, I work at Facebook right now, but I've been a designer for a good number of years now. I've been really lucky and privileged to have worked for a lot of really good companies across both big and small. Uh, I worked at everything from startups where we had two people in the room, you know, two to 10 people really. Um, to working at large, large companies like IBM, and then back to more mid-sized startups like AngelList. So really have run the gamut and uh, super excited to be here. 
What would you say is the biggest difference of working across that range of companies? There's so many differences, definitely not just one. Uh, I actually yeah. can talk about this extensively, but uh, the, the size of the company is definitely uh, indicative of culture for sure. Uh, but the uh, the flows, the processes, every single thing is different, whether it's a 50-person startup or a two-person startup. So I, I've seen it all. Before working at LinkedIn myself and being at such a large organization, I was at a smaller kind of startup. It's really interesting. Like I'm seeing a lot of the the same themes, but I think it's just like the scale and the magnitude just adds like another multiplier to it. Yeah, so true. No, hundred percent. I agree with you. I think my my role changes per startup, per environment. You know, like I I've been a technically a product designer at a startup, but really more yeah. like a product designer and sales and marketing and all that yeah. stuff. And then when you go into a bigger company, you're a product designer on you know a couple of pages only. Right. So totally right. varies. I feel like recruiters kind of come at me and say, hey, you have an opportunity to own the whole product. Would you rather own a whole product or a few pages? <laughs> I totally would love to own a product. I think that my personal goal as of now and where I can see myself in 10 years, I would love to be head of product someday of a really good company that I believe in and the product I believe in. I would love yeah. to own that whole process. I'm going to ask you another question in this realm. What do you what do you think makes a good product organization? I know, I mean, for the listeners, you know, a lot of times when we talk about design, we generally will talk about the individual designer. But I think a lot of 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 that is actually just only one part, right? We work with a ton of people across different disciplines, whether it be from data science, engineering, product managers, the list goes on. So what do you think the characteristics are of a, of a good product organization? A good product organization. That's a really good question. Um, I have to really think about it because it doesn't seem like there's a blanket answer. It's not like sure. I can just give you one answer and it works for every company I've ever been at. Right. Um, it's always just been um, factoring in the types of people who work there, the type of product it is, you know, the, the size of the company, the size of the marketplace that you're addressing or the audience that you're, you're addressing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is a really dud and awful answer, but I really <laughs> think it depends. I would have to like sit down, talk to the CEO, yeah. talk to the, the executive team to really understand what you're after to give you an answer. Yeah. So what would you be after as a head of a product design organization? I mean, in 10 years, if I were to succeed and become head of product at a great company, I think that uh, the type of company I would look for is uh, certainly a bit on the scrappier side. So I don't I don't really like it when processes are written into stone and everyone has to follow it. I actually really loved my last experience at my last company where really every single person we hired had the personality of almost uh, a founder in and of themselves. Yeah. I think at one point we actually boasted that 50% of our employees were actually ex-founders. And so that made a lot of sense. So I would love just a huge amount of ownership across the board. You know, I want every single person to really own the opportunities that they're seeking and um, the value that they're bringing to the company. And at that point, as head of product, all I'm really doing is vision, you know, not yeah. so much, you know, micromanaging. So I think that would be dream. And, and that was the answer that I was looking for. So you did an amazing job <laughs> on the spot. 
Um, so you have the honor of being my first guest that I've recorded in 2021, even though season two is going to be released in uh, 2021. Uh, what are some lessons kind of coming out of 2020 that you're starting out the year with top of mind? Definitely invest in self-care and be wary of burnout. I think 2020 for me and probably for a lot of other people, it really induces fear that it was going to be a lost year. You know, I felt stuck at home. Um, it was like a time suck and a loss of opportunities. And I was really raised with this mindset that, you know, achievements equal happiness, which I know is not super healthy and uh, has been really difficult for me to unlearn. But I definitely got into this constant need to optimize my time or else it was going to be wasted. And so I really, um, early on in 2020, I really threw myself into work in every way possible. You know, I, yeah. I, um, I think I started first by uh, uh, mentoring people in my free time, uh, especially during those early COVID days when websites and resources like ADP lists, I'm sure you know, were growing yeah. in popularity. And uh, I think I was taking on three one-to-one -one coffee chats every day for a month. Mm. um including weekends and i learned a lot out of that experience i learned how much i love mentorship i learned how deceivingly hard it is to teach something that you already knew uh but i also was incredibly stretched thin and i grew really tired and i dialed that down the following month to maybe five coffee chats over a week um and that was okay for a while but i still wasn't um at a point i was happy with uh there were uh, still a lot of engagements that I wanted to maintain with people over time. I didn't want it to just be a one-off conversation. And so, you know, the the commitment is still going to be larger than you initially expect. Um, mm -hmm. And then also it just wasn't scalable. I was still turning away people, um, you know, a month in advance and I didn't, didn't feel good. And so yeah. a lot of work into mentorship, a lot of work into speaking engagements. I really wanted to do more public speaking. Um, put a lot, a lot of work into Lift Her Wealth, which I know we'll talk about. Um, and also just, you know, worked way past my nine to five. So at the end of 2020, I was full on burnt out. I was, uh, I, I had been burnt out in the past, but this was by mm. far the worst. I, I was, uh, I had high strong anxiety. I was, you know, borderline depressed because I kind of saw the end of the line. Um, which was catastrophic failure uh, at one or more of my ventures. So uh, by the time the holidays rolled around, I really had to shut it all off and hard reset. Yeah. And I really had to view my time and energy as a commodity that needs to be carefully distributed. Um, and hopefully in the next few months, I really hope to invest in new ways I can actually increase my time and energy rather than spend it. So. Just yeah. learned a lot of things about myself and how I worked and honestly, how I just need to take a break sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I resonate with that quite a bit. Um, and I think I feel like I, I kind of saw this from afar too. Like, I think there's, there's sort of like you putting your work in, you're, you're investing your time and your energy into it and not really understanding the commitment in terms of just like that heavy lift that you have, like, the moment that you reach out to somebody, obviously you want to foster that relationship, but mm -hmm. again, it's sort of a back and forth sort of thing and you want to see them become successful. Um, but at scale, it, it's a lot harder. And then addition to that, 
you know, you had a lot of just noise on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And I think for me, like that, that to me was a lot because everyone had opinions, yeah. <laughs> right? And it was always sort of like this pressure to do more or have this responsibility. However, I think that responsibility really does kind of come towards that, that inner self and maintaining that. And I think for me, mental health is, is at the top of mind for me this year. I think there was just so many outward influences and then kind of going to work and still being expected to perform the best that you can. And even in that sphere, there's still a level of balance that had to be recalibrated within your organization. So with that being said, one of the things that you talked about was the Lift Her Wealth Conference. So give us like a, a general high level idea of what that is. And then I'd love to just kind of dive in the type of content and the motivation for you to start that. Totally. So Lift Her Wealth was an initiative to help women learn to be better investors, stronger negotiators, and overall just more educated financial decision makers. Um, and even though I didn't really know it at the time, this was actually a pretty saturated problem space. And there are tons of resources that I now know already kind of try to address this. So uh, in some ways, we were almost like an awareness campaign. But a lot of the unique value that I really believe Lift Her Wealth brought was the accessibility into a very intimate conversation. Uh, what women really got in abundance were uh, links to articles and books and softwares and apps with subscription plans. And mm. all they really actually wanted was to connect with women like them, women in their field near where they lived um, at, a different, uh, at, a, at a similar stage of career uh, that they can talk, real, real talk with. Uh, and yes, of course, they did actually need guidance to some degree from someone who's an expert on finances, which is why we invited 15 amazing speakers. Uh, but they also wanted a conversation with someone who hasn't figured it all out yet, but mm -hmm. is interested in comparing notes. So Lift Your Wealth was really uh, out to embrace both of those needs. And I do feel really good about everything that we were able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. Would you say that we're having these conversations within the design community? Is, is sort of that where you saw the opportunity initially? You know, I wish the answer was yes, but no. <laughs> no. Um, I honestly think the need just came from being a woman in tech. And that's mm -hmm. truly the audience that I sought out to serve. Um, it had nothing to do with design. And obviously yeah. I did, I, I was able to bring design in at some point, you know, I made the website, design the website, design all the marketing assets. That was fun. And that, you know, tied into my skills. But at the end of the day, the problem and the solution had nothing to do with design. Yeah. Um, and it had a lot more to do with community building. Yeah. And I almost felt better that it didn't have to do with my work because it was like a, a refresher into what yeah. I could accomplish outside of my strict, you know, um, income generating skills. Yeah. So what was the general motivation on, on your part outside of just designing it? <laughs> You know, um, I wish I could give you this, um, you know, bow tie story about how I uh, am like a, I'm this expert in financial, personal yeah. finances, and I had the solutions to everyone's problem. And so I wanted to go out and solve it. 
but it was really more like um and i have told this origin story so many times that almost feels surreal but it was yeah. really just at the end of the night um i had just had a conversation early in the day with a woman who was moving into the bay area and i lived mm. in the bay area and so she was uh, not in my field but she was certainly in tech and she wanted to ask people questions very candid questions about how much uh, how much do you earn? Because she expected to get offers within the week. Um, how were the living costs, uh, living expenses of being in the Bay Area? Um, you know, what did it feel like to grow your career in that kind of community? So on and so forth. And I had a very honest conversation with her back and forth. And even though I was on the more giving end of that, I also felt after that conversation that I strongly needed to be on the receiving end as well. I have not had that kind of conversation with another woman. Most of the time, those conversations I've ever had, which were still not at that honest of a level, it was still kind of more high level, were always with men. And mm. so I just saw the, I just saw myself as a person who had this problem and I had absolutely no solution up to that point. I had no idea it was going to be a conference. I had no idea it was going right. to blow up. All I all I wanted to do was shout into the ether that, you know, I wanted desperately to connect with people. Yeah. And I, I think I remember, I think you sent out a tweet and it just blew up. I was like, <laughs> I saw when you initially did it and it was actually a very, it was very fun to, to kind of follow. Right. Because it was like, um, all right, we're going to speak something into existence, like towards the end of December. And then all of a sudden we've got, you know, 14 some speakers right and and so it's just amazing to kind of see that organic kind of growth but it also i would imagine for you just showed the amount of people that shared the same sort of sentiment that you did um so all in all how many folks ended up like attending that conference and is is there any sort of thing that are going to happen after that like is there any content that folks can can kind of access uh so i think out of um, four and a half people who signed up, I think we had about 50% turnout, which is not bad. Mm, yeah. um, and uh, it was incredible. People were super engaged. The chat was firing off nonstop. Um, yeah. People actually um, actually uh, wanted, saw this need to have further conversation after the conference. And so they actually built an unofficial Lift Your Wealth Slack community themselves which has, I think, hundreds of people engaged in it as well. So that's amazing to see. Yeah. Um, as for what is coming out of me and the organizer and the team, we're a little bit unsure because uh, we really intended, like I said, the value of this was that it was connecting people and connections really had to be in real time and carefully thought out. I didn't want to be another Slack channel, although I am super happy that uh, the participants themselves started a Slack channel of their own, but I didn't want to just be another Slack channel that you moderated over time, hope it doesn't die after a course of months, uh, hope yeah. that it has you know, the same level of meaningful engagement as they did during the actual conference. And so we kind of just, after it all ended, we obviously took a giant breather, everyone kind of took a minute to just breathe. And then we started brainstorming other options. Uh, we haven't really landed on any of those options sure. yet, but we're certainly working on it. We don't know if anything will come out. We don't really want to do something just for the sake of doing it. We think that the conference itself delivered tons of value already. And so yeah. if something works out, it'll work out, but I'm pretty optimistic and happy with the results already. 
Yeah, yeah. And and just maybe to give the listeners a, a bit of an idea, what were some of the, the main themes that were discussed at the conference? Yeah, so we had um, kind of three main areas. One was personal finance. So this was kind of investing, um, learning about 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, stock, stock trading, angel investing, actually. And then there was career development. So we had, um, you know, a bunch of speakers come in about what it's like to advocate for yourself, uh, talk about imposter syndrome. And then the final area is um, kind of just like a couch all, you know, miscellaneous. You know, we had this amazing woman come in who talked about discussing finances with her, uh, with her husband or her partner, mm-hmm. right? And so even though that's not always such a talked about topic, people were so engaged during that talk. Yeah. You know, she really talked about how her expectations and her husband's expectations were completely different. And it really um, became important that they grew in maturity towards that type of topic. And so that's something that people related to. Um, and then just in general, just uh, this um, general sense from everybody that talking about wealth at all is important. I think that was kind of an underlying theme throughout the days. So what are some areas that you personally um, are starting to invest in when it comes to personal or finance in general? You know, I actually feel really gravitating towards career development. I don't know why. Um, Mm. I have always been interested in learning about career development in the sense of, you know, like, how do you define the career paths in front of you? Um, what it takes to climb the career ladder. Do you actually want to climb a career ladder? Because that's a very corporate thing to do. Um, What does it mean to get a promotion? When when do you ask for a raise? Again, self-advocacy is very important. And then lastly, almost this uh, overall umbrella sense of self-awareness that you need to develop in order to understand what your own career even is and want to be. Mm. And so I've always been really interested in that. And I think Lift Your Wealth really kicked that off for me. I know that my uh, fellow organizers uh, feel a little bit more strongly on the personal finance side. They they really related to you know the discussions about investing and um, talking more about spending habits and things like yeah. that. Um, and so I would be very very supportive if they were to ever spin out into their you know own thing and start supporting that area themselves. On my second episode. I had a um, I had an executive coach uh, on the show, and one of the things that really kind of resonated for me is what we had a lot of uh, discussion around the conversation or having a conversation, and it's, it's a very like wide kind of reaching sort of thing, right? Because we can have conversations around you know having a seat at the table or trying to convince uh, you know stakeholders. But there's also a really interesting piece around having your conversations with your manager around mm-hmm. asking for a raise, right? Or when you're going through uh, the interview process, being able to push back on sort of the salary piece. I think we really need to sharpen our tool set when it comes to having these conversations when to have them, because at the end of the day, you can, you can be as good as you want to be at, at what you do. But if you're not willing to have some of those more uncomfortable or not so common conversations and know how to approach those, 
you're just not going to unlock the door to, to your highest potential. Would you say that's something that's kind of true that you're kind of thinking about on that, on that same theme? Totally. Yeah. And to be honest with you, to go off what you're saying, I do agree that those conversations are uncomfortable, but at least in my own experience, I've actually found that the discomfort comes from me versus myself and not discomfort from me versus my manager. I've, I've obviously had an array of managers and they've been, you know, they've been on a spectrum of how effective they were in helping my career, but almost all of them had good intentions. I, I've luckily never had a malicious manager, you know, that's a completely different conversation. But if you have a manager who is willing to advocate for you and you step up to say, Hey, you know what? I do want to be advocated for that conversation is actually pretty comfortable. You know, I, they, they actually feel that you are helping them do their job. And so it's more like I had to overcome my own initial thresholds of how much am I willing to brag about myself or, you know, quote unquote, brag about myself. How, um, uh, how many times can I ask for something before I feel like I'm being annoying? All these questions that are honestly more self-imposed than anything else. Break down that sort of, uh, that self-doubt. And again, like, I, I also go back to this idea around imposter syndrome, around just all of the noise that you're hearing. I just feel like there's a lot of pressure to, to sort of show off and say, hey, look, I did this and hey, I did that. But a lot of the times there's just not enough conversation around like, what are you really feeling inside? Because not every single thing that you do every single day is gonna necessarily commend all of those things, right? It's a lot of the small things that you're doing over time that actually probably make a larger difference than say when you actually ship a product. I I really appreciate uh, you kind of diving into your own experience. And I know some of the listeners will definitely resonate with that. So I'm gonna transition from that. Um, Outside of finances, Um, in the design, in design world, what is like one thing that you don't think gets talked about enough? Um, I think that, uh, one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that good design is invisible. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, you know, design as a career path often gets mistaken, uh, to be graphic design, because I think a lot of people assume you're making things look pretty. Uh, but you and I both know that, uh, or anyone with decent amount of experience in design uh, will know that it goes way beyond that. Um, and often the way that I've seen people climb the career ladder or you know excel in their career is by delivering anything with intention. It doesn't almost even matter at that point what that thing is, as long as you're doing it with intention. And so it's a, it's a lot less the mastery of tools like Sketch or Figma and a lot more to do with understanding why you're doing things and the consequences of doing that thing. And so um, I think this is coming from, you know, a lot of conversations with pretty young designers, but uh, it does seem like when we do introduce new designers to the field, we're not teaching them to think about or talk about systems thinking or product strategy or anything high level like that, we don't really equip them with, um, we don't really equip them with the skills to think at, think about the larger picture. Um, because I think we tend to believe that young designers or students should become really good at micro stuff first. Mm. Um, and I think that's true up to a point, 
because if you think about the 80-20 threshold, um, obviously you have to be good at craft before you start applying the craft. But I do think that that threshold is a lot lower than we're forcing students and young designers to perform at, uh, unless of course they actually intend to have craft be their strength and really lean into that as a career choice, which is again, you know, an intentional choice in in and of itself. Um, but I don't think it should be the default choice. And so I think I might be really biased because I was introduced to design pretty late. Um, and I really tried to drink from the fire hose when I started because I felt like I had to catch up on a lot, but I wasn't really considering all my options back then. And that's kind of one of the biggest regrets I have when I look towards the, the early days of my career, um, and now, um, you know, uh, after quite a few years, now I really realize that the world after quote unquote design thinking is so yeah. vast. Yeah. And I wish we told students that a lot earlier. Well, well, again, I think the things that you're focusing on the discussion that we had on this call, I think is sort of where we should be start. That That's the ground level, I think, of where every designer should start. And it's Great to really see that these conversations are starting to happen. I think from what I've observed, especially around like, you know, the last year or so, last couple of years even, I do think design is going through that sort of, uh, you know, come to Jesus moment for a lack of a better term, that we do have a bigger responsibility in this world. Um, And, you know, I think it takes you kind of seeing this, like folks like you seeing like different subject matters that definitely needs to be held at the forefront. Um, And, you know, it's definitely motivating folks a lot more, but again, you know, there's so many problems to solve in this world. Like you still need to take a break for yourself. And so I really appreciate you being able to kind of share that story and that progressive, uh, you know, clarity that you've had over time. Um, So we're going to kind of get towards the end of the show. Is there anything, um, that we didn't talk about that you want to leave with the listeners? I think one thing that I um, surprisingly have learned, uh, and and by learn, I mean truly digested uh, this past year, is that a lot of young designers, and me included when I was uh, a little bit younger, uh, I really tended to look at people on my LinkedIn feed, my Twitter feed, whatever, you know, the role models. I looked at role models as these people who um, got their way there through magical means I did not, I was not aware of. And I think if I took anything away from this past year and the enormous amount of networking that I've done, uh, I really have realized the, uh, the amount of humanity that really uh, these role models uh, have and the amount of mistakes that they also made that never gets heard. And so Um, I think if I were to say anything to the listeners, if you ever have a role model and you feel intimidated by them, please don't be intimidated. Um, I felt joy and happiness talking to every single person that I've spoken to. And uh, I think that if I had intimidated myself into not reaching out and speaking to these people, I wouldn't have learned anything. And Mm so if you ever want to talk, um, reach out to me, reach out to Harrison, reach out to all these people. The worst thing that I can probably say is I'm a little bit too busy right now, but I'm sure eventually you'll get through and the conversation is amazing. That's excellent. And, and on that note, how can folks connect with you? 
Um, yeah, uh, folks can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as Lily Konings, uh, K-O-N-I-N-G-S. Um, and I also can be found writing my newsletter called Welcome Designer. I basically take uh, two to three reader questions every issue and I answer them in depth and we touch on anything from building a career in design to, um, you know, just anything at all. So uh, super happy to get any listeners on there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And that is a wrap. Enjoy this episode. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform that you use. You can also subscribe to my newsletter at harrisonwheeler.com for the latest industry insights, new article posts, and announcements of future guests on the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of Technically Speaking. I'm your host, Harrison Wheeler, and I'm out.